Hello, it is Liam Schmidt here from Irish Funds. Today we are bringing you another of the highlights from our recent 9th annual Irish Funds UK Symposium held in London on November 24th. We are delighted to share with you our update on regulation panel discussion, moderated by Nicholas Blake-Knox of Walkers. The panellists for this discussion include Tara Newbury from Northern Trust Asset Management, Federico Capelli from Afama, and Jonathan Lipkin of the Investment Association. The discussion addresses the rapidly changing regulatory environment in Ireland, taking UK and European perspectives into account and examines how asset managers are responding to these challenges. I'm sure you'll find the insights to be fascinating and do keep an eye out for further content here on the Irish Funds podcast channel. Thanks very much. I hope hope, uh, you can hear me okay. it's great to be here today. I, I remember um, this time last year, we were in the kind of middle of COVID and um, it was quite, a, quite an interesting time to be over here. So it's brilliant to see so many people um, here today. Um, we will be talking about regulation today. Um, so much happened so quickly that I was frantically writing down some of the updates there that Derville announced. Um, we, we might come back to a couple of those, the property uh, fund uh, measures which have been published now and and delegation is obviously a a key um, area of focus. Today, uh, from a regulatory perspective, uh, obviously, as we're in the UK, we're very interested in getting the perspective of what's happening here. Um, I think a lot of people in the room will will have Irish funds, will be selling uh, European funds potentially back in here. Um, We'll we'll be looking at kind of their ability to continue to service products and, you know, uh, operate across the EU. So very interested in terms of what the FCA are doing. Um, from from that perspective, and obviously a number of uh, different initiatives that they've started, so we'll hear more about that from from Jonathan. The EU piece is going to be very important as well, a lot happening in Brussels, and um, we we have the AFAMA perspective. And then critically important is how are asset managers responding to these challenges, what's uh, causing them um, to kind of stay up at night, I I guess, and um, we'll kind of let the conversation flow from there. So uh, I might just ask if the panelists would mind introducing themselves uh, for everybody here. Sure. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Tara Newberry. I head the legal team at Northern Trust Asset Management. Good morning, everyone. I am Federico Cupelli, Deputy Director at EFAMA. Um, in charge of quite a number of files these days. I head a small team that helps me out in this uh, difficult endeavor. Over to you. Good morning. Uh, my name is Jonathan Lipkin. I'm delighted to be here this morning with you. Uh, I am Director of Policy, Strategy and Innovation at the Investment Association um, here in London. Uh, I have a particular focus on um, customer markets and, and all of the aspects of, of sort of product uh, manufacture and distribution associated with the, the retail and institutional markets that we serve. Thanks. Thanks very much. So, Frederica, maybe we'll start with the, the EU landscape, and um, there's a lot of initiatives, uh, a lot of priorities at the Commission level. Would you mind just giving everybody just an overview of kind of what, what, what is on the agenda at the moment and the key areas of focus? Yes, definitely. So, as uh, Derville anticipated, uh, it would be difficult to exclude everything that is ESG sustainability related these days. So, I would say that that is currently priority number one in our discussions, uh, both internally with our uh, members, but also with uh, the relevant policymakers in Brussels and, uh, and beyond. Besides that, I would say that we are closely monitoring um, the, um, 
discussions around the AFMD review. We have a uh, confirmed uh, council general approach, which dates June this year. We are now waiting for the parliament to um, finalize its amendments, and then uh, we will be having a vote um, later in uh, December, uh, although it may slip, uh, we are hearing. And then after that, we will see how the trilogues go. Uh, there are still a number of uh, important open points. I think <clears throat> not so much on delegation, but uh, rather uh, on uh, loan funds. I think that is where a lot of um, concerns are condensing these days. Apart from the AFMD review, which, uh, by the way, I should have said this, is also the USITS review uh, in part, we are also... Um, now closely um, waiting for uh, the ink to run dry on the LTIF proposal. Uh, there are, uh, I think today, the last technical trilogues, but it's essentially a matter of sorting out language. Um, we have a very good deal on the table, so I think that in this instance, uh, the Commission's proposal uh, and, and, and all the discussions around that between the co-legislators will come up with a, a better regulation that is going to help uh, the launch of LTIF products in the future. Um, and then um, further down the pipeline, we are closely monitoring everything that relates to money market funds, where we are at this stage um, expecting uh, that the review of the MMFR proposal will most likely come under the new commission as, um, as far as the, the, the latest intelligence we've uh, gathered seems to suggest. And then finally, I would say that there is a, a lot of um, discussions happening uh, around the uh, commission's ambitions on the retail uh, investor strategy, which uh, brings up once again uh, discussion around uh, potential inducement bans. We are definitely not in favor of it as, uh, as the association. Uh, so commission-based and fee-based models we think should continue to coexist. Um, there are also different practices across the member states, so it would be almost impossible to come to a simple outright ban, uh, although in the UK and in the Netherlands this has been um, already implemented, but mind you, these are very different markets compared to the other national markets on the, on the continent. Um, so I guess that that is really it in a nutshell. Um, okay. Stop there. Thanks, Vidigar. Uh, so it's a number of um, areas that I think we, we, we'll come back to. Uh, delegation, obviously. Um, it's something that I think has kind of gone under the, the radar to some extent, but um, you know, Durable there speaking about it and, and something I think that we uh, will be following very closely and maybe we'll, we'll come back to that. I think the ALTIF is something else that um, has kind of got under the radar a, a little bit. So this is a product that was created a number of years ago, which allows for long-term investment in, in real assets um, and allows access to, or retail investors access to this. So very much in line with the capital markets unions um, kind of objectives. Um, but now uh, some of the uh, requirements around investor um, kind of restrictions coming in and suitability assessments that didn't line up with MIFID uh, have been looked at. Some of the um, assets and diversification limits and things like that have been improved. They're a really critical product and, and we might come back to that because that is something really that we're hoping the Irish 
um, kind of regulatory authorities and industry can get behind because there's a huge uh, potential for growth there. So we, we, we'll come back to those. Um, Jonathan, I guess as we look at the UK, I mean, there's kind of two, two areas of uh, focus. So one is, what is the UK doing to compete? Um, you know, it, it's talked about deregulation on, on one hand, but on the other hand, it, um, it seems to be kind of beefing up and putting in kind of best-in-class, you know, uh, regimes. The other piece then is, is the kind of market access piece. So I guess... Um, you know, we've overseas fund regime and all of these other initiatives, but um, w what are the kind of key policy areas, Jonathan, that you're, you're looking at from, from a UK perspective? Um, and then maybe we could think a little bit about that kind of Irish-EU uh, angle. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, it's, it's always worth stressing um, you know, to, to, to this audience particularly just how important the relationship between uh, the UK and Irish industries remain. It is an integral part of our delivery chain. It's reflected in the relationship between uh, the IA and Irish funds, which I would say is, is, is stronger than ever. And the importance of delegation, which can never be taken for granted, is nonetheless recognized um, at, at the highest levels um, in, in the UK policy and, and, and regulatory decision-making apparatus. Um, if we just sort of take what's going on in the UK at the moment, maybe under sort of two big headings. Firstly, sort of the extent to which there is divergence. You know, wh wh where are we heading as a, as a jurisdiction? Uh, and then maybe a, a little bit about the um, uh, liquidity debate. Um, so one point that I think is always worth remembering is that the UK has long been, to some extent, at the avant-garde of, of consumer regulation. And has a track record of moving early. So actually, uh, thinking about some of the conversations I've been having with European colleagues in recent months on the inducement discussion in the EU, it's 10 years since the UK did the retail distribution review. Uh, and indeed, the asset management market study, which led to the assessment of value process being introduced in the UK, um, predates Brexit in terms of its starting point. Um, and so the UK has historically been able to manage that divergence within a common framework of the single market. What clearly has now changed um, is that we are no longer a part of that single market, uh, and we are starting to see um, some rise in the uh, potential for cross-border friction. Um, and, and I think there's sort of two aspects to that. Um, the first is... Um, a deepening of some of those consumer-focused manufacturer and distributor requirements that we initially saw reflected in the assessment of value, which are now reflected in something called the consumer duty, which will come into force next year. And I do encourage uh, those of you that are selling cross-border into the UK who haven't looked at the consumer duty to take a close look, because... The big change is a series of responsibilities on distri distributors, and then you're thinking particularly about the, the, the platforms, advisors, um, wealth managers, um, with respect to price uh, and value. That will mean that regardless of where we get to um, with the overseas fund regime and some of the outstanding decisions about assessment of value for manufacturers, we'll put a distributor set of requirements in place um, which are going to have quite an impact, um, both for domestic and overseas fund ranges. 
Um, so that's sort of the first point in, in, in terms of direction of travel. The second, which is you know, relatively new for us, is um, regulation uh, that is taking place outside the, the, the single market framework. So some of what we've seen in the UK just uh, runs parallel to what has happened at EU level. So, for, for example, the LTIF was onshored into the UK. We have the LTAF. Um, with sustainable finance, we're going in a different direction. We haven't onshored SFDR. Uh, and instead, we're going through, at the moment, a consultation process um, on, on something confusingly called SDR, um, which um, will mean that actually the UK has in place um, a, a potentially quite distinct set of sustainability disclosure requirements um, that, that differ from SFDR in, in, in a critical respect, that the SFDR being it perhaps primarily described as a sort of transparency and classification framework in the sense of Article 6, 8, and 9 not really, really being about consumer-facing labels. What, what we're doing in the UK is we're going down a track of actually labeling. And there are three labels that are being proposed um, relating to sustainability focus, a category that one, one is, 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 is called improver, but is actually fundamentally about transition, um, and then impact. And so the big question for us is going to be, how does that interact for cross-border distribution in, in, in particular with SFDR? Um, and it is clear, firstly, that the bar is being set pretty high in the UK with respect to what constitutes sustainability. And secondly, we've got to work through how those cross-border distribution arrangements are going to work, because at the moment, there's effectively uh, a hold in place where the FCA said, we'll consult about what happens uh, with overseas funds. But in the meantime, the, the fix is effectively uh, a, a uh, message to investors that explains that the fund in question is not in uh, the jurisdiction of the FCA with respect to the labeling. So we are starting to see now, as I said, something that is a little bit different to what we saw when we were within the single market and we're going in a certain direction. Um, and, and clearly from our perspective, thinking about our membership, which is highly international, um, as well as some players that are more domestically focused, is working with the authorities to ensure um, that we can have uh, the best possible functioning market uh, and range of funds available to uh, UK customers. Um, I'll be brief on, on uh, liquidity because I think I've probably used up quite a lot of time already. I mean, it's a, it's a busy year. Um, <laughs> the, um, I was really struck by the comments from Devil Rowlands about dialogue and engagement between industry and regulator. And I just think this is a critical point as we go into a critical phase of the discussion on the liquidity toolkit. Um, I would say that, that perhaps um, prior to uh, uh, the, the LDI episode, um, there was a degree of consensus emerging um, around the liquidity toolkit. Um, and we put out a paper earlier this year um, about the role of swing pricing um, that said broadly, put, putting money market funds aside for a moment, but just thinking about the sort of mainstream universe, that we could, we could see a landing ground where there would be agreement um, with regulators internationally about some of those sort of broad liquidity tools um, that we as an industry recognize could help us serve our customers well and that regulators have been asking to, us to consider. Um, clearly, we're going to have to go through a process of reflection post-LDI, um, but 
it is already apparent that, that some of the operational resilience themes that are, are coming out, um, for example, around collateral management, use of leverage, um, will require careful consideration. Um, but I think what we're very keen to do as an industry is to ensure that no one draws generalized conclusions from specific events. So we want to make sure that the evidence base for everything that we do is clear and that the toolkit is calibrated appropriately so that we don't end up in a situation where we say, oh, well, the UK had this LDI crisis, therefore we need to impose uh, a, a universal approach to the investment funds industry regarding certain aspects of how we manage liquidity. So it's still slightly early days. I think the, the thing that I would stress from a sort of convergence divergence perspective there is that our, our central bank uh, and indeed our regulator have indicated that they're very keen for this to be considered as part of an international discussion. Uh, and, and we'll see where we go with this, but certainly what, what they have been saying in, 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 in public and in private um, is that this is something that we should be trying to address in, in a holistic way across the global industry. Well, thanks, Jonathan. I mean, that, that's really interesting to hear what's going on. I think some people struggle to understand what direction the UK is going in at times, because in certain areas they seem to be kind of strengthening regulation. In other areas, they're saying we're going to be more competitive, we're going to deregulate. Um, has there, or is there clarity on the direction that is, you know, being taken, or is it kind of quite ad hoc across different uh, areas? I mean, I think it's no secret to say it's been a pretty turbulent year politically. Um, and uh, we're all waiting now just to see the, the direction of travel. Um, but I would sort of, you know, return to the point that there, there, there has always been a degree of competition between fund jurisdictions uh, across the EU and across the world. Um, and so the, that, that, is, that is not new. I think the, 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 the question that we will need to sort of look at is the extent to which outside that sort of common framework for competition that the single market provides is where the UK uh, decides to go. And as I say, on, on SDR, um, we do have an example of where we may end up going um, more broadly, but I still think it is a little early to see, uh, particularly given the recognition, as I say, of the international nature of this industry and the cross-border supply chains that are integral um, to the good functioning uh, of what we do, and we'll continue to be pushing those points. Yeah, and I, I think that... Um Competition and misalignment is very different to what's happening in Europe because they're talking about uh, supervisory convergence, and, and I think everybody is just a large degree supportive of that. Uh, it must drive you mad, Tara, uh, when you have to map out exactly what you need to do in all these different jurisdictions and what you need to comply with and everything. And I'm you know, just really interested in your perspectives on this kind of discussion, and then what is it that you're focused on? And, and you probably could take your top. 20 things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so I won't take up all so of the many. time. But yeah. yeah, even the acronyms alone, right? SFDR, SDR, LTIF, LTAF, right? We've just got to, you know, the divergence is continuing and I think it's only going to get um, more and more so. And so from an asset manager's stance, particularly with an, a UK investment manager with clients that are Irish USITs, um, we're looking at both frameworks in parallel at all times, as many of you in this room will be. And that is challenging, both not only on resources and costs, but how does it then translate to investors? So, for example, um, SFDR and SDR 
we, we don't know yet how the FCA will land in terms of disclosures that are going to be in Irish funds or other European funds that are marketed into the UK. Um, you know, are we going to have to have a separate wrapper? And if you compare this maybe to like food wrappers, this is, you know, food nutritional information, which is the common um, comparison here. You're going to have two separate labels, right? So with two sets of data. And that can be very confusing to investors. It's confusing to the investment professionals within my own organization. Um, you know, if I talk to sales and explain, you know, where we have gone, got to with our SFDR categorizations, it, it feels, along with the rest of the industry, we're just sort of picking an article, you know, depending on the flavor of the month. And, and particularly in the last few weeks, as everybody has seen, there's been a massive dramatic change in everybody's thinking, not because the regulation has changed, but everybody uh, starting to err on the side of caution. Um, but yeah, massive challenges with that. And I think that's same with when we look at consumer duty, um, and Jonathan alluded to this already, European uh, fund managers distributing into the UK will need to provide information to UK managers so that they can exhaust their rules, uh, so their, their obligations. And um, how does that extraterritorial extra reach um, take place? Like There will be pressure, obviously, from UK investment managers to get that information so it can fulfill its duties. Um, but that's in contradiction with with other obligations. So um, we will see where that leads to. But um, yeah, I think I think you know the LDI crisis was obviously a big um, moment for anyone looking after money market funds. Um, <laughs> even if um, you know you you weren't suffering, um, you know we as a um, money market manager were having to watch flows. Yeah, intraday, reminded me very much of back in 2008, um, just watching to make sure that there wasn't going to be large withdrawals from our money market funds in order for LDIs to make their margin calls. And, and that, that was a very tricky period for everybody. And, and the CBI asked everybody that ran a money market fund to dust off their playbooks ready for you know, what happens if there is a liquidity issue here. Uh, and many, many were looking at gates, et cetera. I mean, we, we were lucky. We obviously considered flight to safety, perhaps, because we had saw inflows instead of outflows, which was, which was a happy moment. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I could go on. I could go on, but I'm conscious of time. Yeah, and I, and I should just mention, if, if anybody has any questions, um, please, please put them up on, uh, on Slido here. We'd be happy to take them. Um, I guess, interesting listening to Dervilla earlier, because it's kind of key themes that she touched on, which you kind of extrapolate then must be key focuses for the regulators. And delegation is something that's come up. Now, interestingly, in the AIFMD, two proposals, um, it didn't get a lot of attention early on because initially there was concerns there were going to be minimum ratios in terms of you know, how much substance you need in the AFM versus the delegates, etc. But I think as that has progressed, um, more discussion has taken place around some of the reporting, around maybe where this could go at kind of level two measures and, and further down. And I guess um, access to uh, third country expertise, whether it be investment management or otherwise, I assume Tara is absolutely critical for, for global asset management firms. Yeah, this is this is critical. So at least at this point with AIFMD reforms, we're looking at reporting. Um, but what becomes of that reporting? So once the, de the levels of delegation from countries such as Ireland is known, well, I think it's already known, but once that data is there, what, what's the next step? 
And so for um, we have investment managers in the UK and the US and Asia. Right? So not one of them is in Ireland. Uh, it's fully delegated. And that would be the same for most people's models are, are very similar. Uh, Ireland doesn't have the investment professionals on the ground at this point to manage all those portfolios. The best outcome for the clients is that they tap into the best resources to do that. And those are in many locations, but then they're not all there in Ireland. And so to offer the best products, we need to be able to continue to do that. It's very, very important, but it's a very, it's a huge concern because that would change not just our model, but you know the, the entire global um, investment management model. Frederick, you, you touched on AFMD uh, in, in your update. I mean, th this delegation piece, it doesn't seem to have got as much attention as it is starting to get now. Um, are, are you seeing your member firms asking about it or do people still kind of think, well, because it's not in the text, so to speak, um, everything is fine? Because that's not kind of what we're hearing. And obviously, Derval's comments just there about, you know, potentially needing to look at this and potentially some adjustments, et cetera, um, is interesting. So from my perspective, I would say that <clears throat> there was more talk and worry around um, the delegation requirements um, some time ago. Uh, and to be exact, when ESMA published that uh, opinion letter in August uh, 2020, where it outlined uh, a recommendation to the Commission to do something around the delegation. So I think that that was where um, our industry became very concerned about the potential future direction of travel. Then we did get the uh, Commission's proposal. Um, obviously, around delegation, we did not like it because it made a clear distinction between EU and non-EU. And uh, it introduced this uh, um, vaguely worded uh, threshold, as you say, um, obliging firms to report directly to ESMA where uh, any uh, portfolio or risk management um, was delegated um, outside the manco based on how much actually the manco decided to retain uh, regarding those two uh, key functions. So that wording is gone, and I think that if we look at the text now, uh, we are in a good place. On this, Council and Parliament, both versions seem to uh, agree. Um, there is, um, I think, a smaller concern at this stage compared to what was there before, and that has to do with uh, this overlap in reporting between um, the Article 7 requirement, so the type of information that needs to be given to the NCA uh, when uh, applying for authorization, uh, and Article 24, which is uh, you know, reporting really on an ongoing basis and specifically around your delegation uh, agreement. Uh, that you have with uh, with the delegates. So there is overlapping information there in terms of the fields that need to be reported on uh, by the mancos. But um, I think that that is the, uh, the, 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 the lesser evil. Obviously, as uh, Derville said, uh, ESMA will be doing uh, further work around this. Um, that does not surprise me because I think that the whole delegation debate was kicked up by... Um, by some um, lack of trust, I think, within ESMA, between NCAs, in terms of what one was doing in relation to uh, authorizing delegation to third countries. Yeah. And so the practices, I think, within ESMA were not fully understood between the NCAs. Uh, some were being seen as being a bit more lax than others. 
Um, and so that is essentially what is lies, lies, lies uh, behind the, uh, the whole the whole big delegation debate. But I think it's uh, it's 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 a positive thing that we you know managed to avoid those two I would say quote unquote nuclear options that would have really I think um, made Europe a bit more of a fortress vis-a-vis uh, -vis the uh, the non-EU space. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's um, it's really ESMA where some some of this is likely to be you know to, to bite and. One would hope, um, as part of the Brexit relocations, given the supervisory convergence where they saw all the applications coming through, that they understand the models that are applied, and, and hopefully there won't be any surprises. But interestingly, getting a lot of a lot of focus at the moment. Jonathan, do you have anything to add on that? Just very briefly, just to sort of reinforce, I was struck by your comment, Nick, uh, about sort of delegation going away. I mean, from our perspective, I don't think a day goes by without us thinking about it. And, and it, it, as I said in my earlier comments, it remains mission critical. Just the one point I would make, uh, you know, we've talked about UK, EU, we haven't talked about sort of the US and divergence more generally. The, the one big thing that does kind of concern us in this entire discussion is just the broader trends towards deglobalization uh, and, and the fact that there's a sort of bigger canvas here in terms of some of the forces at work in our politics, in our economy, in our capital markets more generally that mean that this industry is sort of extremely vulnerable to a reversal mm -hmm. of some of the trends that have enabled us to provide such an effective global service for, for customers in recent decades. And, and I think we, we never take that for granted. Yeah, and, and I think actually one of the questions come up here, Jonathan, is kind of right on point is to what extent does Brexit frame the EU's review of delegations? So how much is this strategic autonomy versus, you know, kind of, um, just a kind of consistent approach across all uh, kind of policy areas, or you know, is there this kind of protectionist aspect to it from from the UK's perspective, at least as, as you look in? I mean, I think there are different forces at, at work in, in 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 Europe, and so it's often sort of hard to say there's a single EU perspective. But there are clearly aspects to this um, that push in in that direction, um, and um, you know, this is. Uh, a work in progress, Brexit. Um, and um, as I say, I think we, we need to ensure that we as an industry continue to, to make the point that, that delegation is, is not a political football or nice to have, that it's an intrinsic part of how we deliver, particularly between our two jurisdictions. Yeah, yeah. Um, one more question. I, I, I know we're running out of time here, and there's so much we could discuss. But Tara, maybe just for, for you here. So yeah. regulations seem to drive product design. Are we heading towards a divergence of product design between funds targeting EU and global markets and the UK markets? Yeah, and we picked up the, on this point in the prep session, so thank you for the question. Um, I think when you start to look at the cost of implementation of regulation, and those are passed on through the fund vehicles to, to investors, can we continue to justify two levels of regulation, in some cases three, right, if you add the mix of the US in again? And so a lot of people post, or in the lead up to Brexit, if there were UK managers who had UK product, were actually moving to move their fund ranges into Europe so they could easily sell throughout Europe. But now, as this two levels of regulation come in, is that a more expensive model? I think that, that discussion has to continue and maybe we will see more um, alignment with UK uh, domestic product again, just so that the cost, but it will be a cost-benefit exercise. And that will depend on the size of people's funds and how much regulatory cost that they can absorb. But yeah, if you start layering on the different regulatory 
regimes onto one product range, it can get very expensive. And presumably that puts more pressure on smaller boutique managers to, to launch product. Yeah. Well, look, I just um, want to thank uh, the panelists, uh, Tara. Thank you so much, uh, Federico. Fascinating to hear about the, the Brussels perspective. And I think, Jonathan, just given where we are today, uh, hearing what's going on in the UK is, is really interesting. I guess we'll watch this space um, and just remain to thank you very much. Thank you.